Howdy folks, welcome back to Leave the Swamp, the Secession Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to this one. So there's this book that I've wanted to read for a while that I found called Texit, Why and How Texas Will Leave the Union by Daniel Miller. I thought it'd be uh, interesting to go through this and actually read it on the uh, podcast here and give my commentary where... I don't know, it uh, seems necessary. See how much I agree with uh, Mr. Miller's ideas and concepts of how Texas can, will, should leave the Union, go out on her own. So let's see what he has to say. Again, it's the name of the book is Texit, and Why and How Texas Will Leave the Union by Daniel Miller. Do-do-do-do-do. We'll start with the forward. That forward is by a guy named John Griffing. Not sure who he is yet, but I assume we will find out soon enough. Oh, if not in the book, then I'll look up, look it up for y'all, and let you know on a future podcast. Uh, it starts with a quote: "I never despaired of the republic, but with unshaken confidence in the strength of our cause." And with full knowledge of what the energies of a free and determined people were capable of achieving, I raised my feeble voice. That was Marabou Lamar, second president of the Republic of Texas. And the forward starts. As a son of a prominent Texas family, with land grants predating Stephen F. Austin, I was inundated with tales of Texas heroism. In our house, it was normal and commonplace to religiously view John Wayne's glorious performance in the Alamo and spend Saturday mornings watching Disney's Fess Parker bring Davy Crockett to life as king of the wild frontier. I love the Alamo. If you haven't seen it, you got to watch it. Classic. Colorful depictions of Texas bravery and rugged individualism sensitized young Texans to the concept of Texas independence. Nowhere is the story of Texas independence more artfully presented then, A Time to Stand, Walter Lord's Unequaled History of the Battle of the Alamo. I haven't read that yet. i got to pick that up. It is still considered the gold standard by modern historians for its factual account of legendary and iconic events like The Line in the Sand, the letter written by Colonel w- William Barrett Travis begging Americans for aid, Jim Bowie's bedside tango with a swarm of Mexican soldiers, and David Crockett's death swinging old Betsy. Lord's Book is an unofficial rite of passage for many Texans. Fatherly wisdom about the price paid in blood for Texas liberty usually accompanies cherished Hollywood representations of Texas heroes. At the core of these de facto traditions is an unshakable belief in Texas supremacy. In other words, Texas considers itself more American than America. And The Church of Texas Supremacy has no greater devotee than my grandfather, a man who always insists on referring to the Lone Star State as the nation of Texas. Hear, hear. Texas independence is viewed by Texans as a largely unspoken natural order of things, and the Union is viewed as an aberration. While dismissed by residents of other states as fantasy, such views are still widespread. Consequently, the Union is always treated like a timeshare, a temporary partnership of convenience Texas occasionally tolerates for limited ends. Such cultural norms are not thought outrageous or offensive in Texas, 
It's serious business, and every native Texan knows it. All things considered, it is undoubtedly my demonstrably idyllic and nostalgic upbringing that makes support for Texan a small, albeit logical, next step. Over the last several years, I ran the largest GOP political action committee, a PAC, in Texas, served as executive director of the largest county Republican Party in Texas, and provided media services to judges, congressmen, senators, and state officials. Most re- recently, I was an associate editor at the Daily Caller News Foundation in Washington, D.C. Prior to working for Tucker Carlson, I was an investigative reporter for WorldNet Daily, CEO Joseph Farah described me as WND's man in Texas. Currently, I'm a frequent contributor to Newsmax TV, RT America, and Fox News affiliates and write a semi-regular column at the Geller Report. My byline also appears at National Review, Pravda, InfoWars, Bruges Group, which is a Thatcher-founded pro-Brexit think tank in London, and a long list of respected newspapers. Interview credits include Fortune 500 executives and key public officials. When not creating the news or working with elected officials like Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, I help advance the message of important causes like Texit in the media. When I first spoke with Daniel, it was over the phone and the topic under discussion was, guess, Texas independence. More specifically, we were discussing my potential public relations contribution to his efforts. Daniel was unlike any of the other political activists I had the displeasure of encountering in the dirty world of politics. He was sincere. He had no angle, save to make save to make Texas or excuse me, save to make Texit a reality. And that's it. He wasn't an opportunist who cynically capitalized on the hopes and dreams of Texans for a profit. Let me just say I feel like that's what these uh the governor, Abbott and people like that when I at the time of this recording right now truly are. They blow with the wind. Daniel was not benefiting from Texit. He simply believed in Texit. His, his credibility is not found in a lofty list of VIPs or in a large bank account. The essence of Daniel's qualifications is his passionate, authentic, and achievable vision for an independent Texas. Texas is an, an attraction of the world, drawing business from every corner of the globe and boasting the lowest unemployment rate in the United States. Texas leads on every front and in every sector. Texas provides more oil and natural gas to the United States than Saudi Arabia. Texas also supplies a majority of the men and women serving in uniform, paying the highest price for the freedom we cherish. Unfortunately, Texas is chained chained to a corpse, the United States of America. (laughs) Ain't that the truth? Remember what I said in my last podcast? Venerable activist, statesman, and author Daniel Miller explains why Texas is the answer in his new book, Texas. Why and how Texas will leave the Union. The U.S. is in a state of rapid decline, and its implosion is frighteningly imminent, owing to financial overstretch that cannot be corrected, endless military interventionism, porous borders, and the collective march away from the principles of limited government that were the source of America's former strength. What goes up must come down, and it is coming down hard. The implications of America's implosion are examined in depth by Miller. He answers the question, burning in the minds of those curious about Texas. How did we get here? Miller also addresses a self-evident corollary question. How did it get bad enough to quit America? The financial crisis of 2008 was a major contributing factor. 
At that time, America opted to place its faith in man, specifically in one man, the President of the United States. America scrapped its republic for a king elected every four years. A Pew Forum study done in October 2008 confirmed the change in cultural ethos, finding a sizable majority of Americans who believe only government can solve the nation's problems. The U.S. Constitution promises to guarantee member states, quote, a republican form of government, end quote. But the union our Texas ancestors readily embraced centuries earlier is actively undermining that solemn guarantee by giving government increasingly more power. As nations grow more corrupt and vicious, they have more need of masters, Benjamin Franklin once wrote. America appears to be living up to Franklin's prophetic warning. One of the elephants in the room for proponents of Texas is the considerably inflated and dangerously overestimated American revival underway at the as the, as the result of the 2016 presidential elections. Far from sidelining Texas, Miller believes that the landslide election of President Donald J. Trump granted Texas legitimacy. Only a little while before Trump's historic election, a widely publicized survey of 10,000 Texans confirmed that a sizable majority, encompassing every major political party and economic background, supported Texas. Meanwhile, Brexit was taking place across the pond. At a press conference in Scotland, Trump was asked about the prospect of Texas, and his remarks prompted a media frenzy. In his usual humorous fashion, Trump made Texas about, about himself. Texas will never do that because Texas loves me, he jokingly remarked. Despite the trivial nature of Trump's remarks, the fact that an in- incoming president would comment on Texas without the usual displays of antagonistic scaremongering is hugely significant, Miller says. Sadly, while Trump's intentions seem noble to many, and making America great again may be a laudable goal, he is no silver bullet, a point Miller drives home repeatedly. The underlying problem compelling Texas independence remains unresolved. The problem? Americans are still scrapping the system in exchange for trust in one man. The system is why America has worked. America no longer adheres to that system. While certainly tragic, Miller views America's decline as the opportunity of a lifetime for the nation nation of Texas. And he is not alone. Many t- Texas public officials are actively integrating excuse me, are actively integrating a Texas outlook into their official duties. Quote, generally speaking, we have made great progress on becoming an independent nation, an island nation, if you will. And I think we want to continue down that path so that if the rest of the country falls apart, Texas can operate as a standalone entity with energy, food, water, and roads as if we were a closed-loop system, says Barry Smitherman, former chairman of the Texas Railroad Commission. America as the land of the free is coming to an end. Short of a miracle, Texas must begin looking at its options, and Miller does first-rate job of outlining what form of those options will take. When a loud, passionate, and vocal majority of delegates at the state's 2016 Republican convention demanded a vote on Texas independence, the path to Texas became transparently clear to Miller. During the convention convention vote to add language expressing support for a Texas referendum to the state's GOP platform, Texans were disgustingly silent, Miller recounts. Tom Meckler, the former chair of the Republican Party of Texas, crookedly called the vote for the nays, 
even though witnesses confirmed that an overwhelming majority of convention delegates voted in favor of Texit. Texas Republican leadership got a bloody nose for standing against Texit, but the implications of what transpired during the 2016 convention were much larger than a single vote. The outcome of the convention means that the question of Texas independence is no longer a topic for casual conversation at the dinner table, but the subject of serious political discourse. Thanks to the courage of Texas Republican delegates in 2016, Miller explains, Texit is now within the realm of possibility. In fact, Texit is, is already, already operationally independent. Texas is the only state in the Union that has previously functioned as an independent, self-governing nation, and due to its unique status, both ec- economically and politically, Texas is truly capable of throwing the switch in a crisis. Lawyers may obsess with nuances surrounding Texas statehood, but anyone looking at what actually, actually matters in the world, money, energy, and military strength, will without hesitation conclude that Texas is the master of all of these. For these reasons, Miller argues that America is unlikely to burn the house down in the event of Texas, or more likely to solicit trade agreements with the Lone Star State. America needs Texas more than the reverse. Consider that Texas has the most Fortune 500 companies of any state at 52. Moreover, Texas refines over one-third of all U.S. oil and is the cheap supplier of oil and natural gas to the rest of the country, beating out Saudi Arabia and Canada. Texas also is also home to some of the largest aquifers in the U.S. and maintains a truly independent electrical grid. In addition to its energy monopoly, Texas retains the largest share of the American military-industrial complex, 13 separate bases. I mean, that could be argued if that's a good thing or not, but we'll continue. With the second largest workforce in the U.S. at some 11 million citizen workers, not including undocumented, Texas has the lowest unemployment rate in the country. Texas can dictate Texit terms. At the core of Texit, why and how Texas will leave the Union is a fundamental belief that more laws and constitutional conventions will not fix America or make it livable for Texas, especially since American leaders are lawless and beyond accountability. In the pages of Miller's books are the blood, toil, tears, and sweat of the Texas independence movement. We are already living a Texas dream. Texas shows, Texas shows us how we can make it official. Okay, now that we got that introduction out of the way, I'm excited to dive into this thing. See what he's all what he's all about. See what his what his ideas are. See where we can go from here. So let's jump into the preface. On August 24, 1996, I set out on a journey that would consume much of my adult life. That was the day I was introduced to the idea that Texas could and should be an independent nation. At that time, tens of thousands of people had signed on to the cause. I was not the first. I wasn't even among the early ones. However, the idea of an independent Republic of Texas struck a chord in me that, to this day, has not been silenced. As an aside, I'd I'd probably put that day down to maybe five or six years after him. Early, early 2000s. Maybe 2002 at the latest. But yeah, once once the seed's planted, man, you can't go back. That's for sure. Continuing. In those days, to speak the words Texas independence was considered blasphemy of the highest order. Such was the power of that idea that some of the greatest injustices were perpetuated on people like us. Many lost their jobs and their businesses. 
Many lost their families because they were consumed by their passion for the ideal. Some were persecuted by the government. Others were the object of vilification by the media. We were called criminals and terrorists merely for expressing an idea that was, at the time, extremely unorthodox. Under enormous pressure and lacking the fortitude of our ancestors, many fell away. Some, like me, persisted. As we persisted, the idea continued to smolder in the hearts and minds of a population groaning under the weight of an ever-expanding federal government that grew increasingly out of control. Soon, faux solutions pitched as reform evaporated along with the hopes of Texans for a solution within the Union, and the smoldering ignited into a burning desire for something better, something greater. With time, patience, discipline, and work, more Texans began to see an independent Texas as a viable path forward to preserve the freedoms they cherished, cherished and to reach for a future worthy of coming generations that will have to live it as their present. Today, many see independence as the only way to protect the fundamental principles we once called America. It's not up to me, through this book, to vindicate those who have worked for Texas independence. Future generations will be the judge. Instead, my job is to explain Texas as I know it, hopeful, strong, rooted in Texas history and culture, with its eyes set on the future. While the amount of information on Texas and the case for it is greater than ever, the discussion has not been elevated accordingly. The pro-independent side has reduced to shouting secede at every new federal grievance. The opposition has been reduced to the one-sentence reply of, you can't do that. (laughs) Uh, The hilarious retort. Until this point, no single work has addressed the underlying causes driving Texans to support Texit in record numbers. The global political trend shaping the Texit discussion, the imminent implosion of the federal system that will leave the United States powerless to stop Texit, the process under which Texit can occur, or what a newly independent republic of Texas may look like. While this book is meant to touch on these issues, it is not comprehensive. Twenty years of exhausted research on the issue, coupled with the practical experience that comes with working to make Texit a reality, has shown that the entire issue is far too complex for one book. It is, however, a good way to get the conversation started. While this book cannot answer every question about Texas, it does answer some of the most frequent. More important, it provides appropriate context to help the reader understand that the solutions are not unique, nor are the challenges insurmountable. It truly is about looking at Texas from a larger perspective and coming to grips with the fact that any perceived barrier to achieving Texas independence has already been broken by someone at some time. I fully intend for this book to generate controversy. It is in the best interests of Texans and, frankly, all states of the United States if it does. Controversy and criticism create debate and discussion, and in turn generate more questions. At this point in our history, everyone should be asking more questions, especially about how we are governed. While this book focuses on Texas, discussions about self-government and self-determination are not and should not be limited to Texans. The issues raised should be discussed across every kitchen table and every political campaign across the United States. People everywhere have a fundamental right to ask whether they are being served by their current form of government and a basic duty to act if if they are not. This book is chock full of facts, figures, quotes, poll numbers, laws, and economic data, but to keep the subject matter accessible, it was necessary to streamline the work by omitting additional supporting evidence. This was especially true in relation to the legal and constitutional aspects of states leaving the Union 
and the original intent behind the construction of the United States. For a more in-depth examination of the nature of the federal Gotta turn the page there, Federal Union. I recommend the book A Brief Hif- Brief Inquiry into the True Nature and Character of a Federal Government by Abel Parker Upshur. I would also recommend that if you want to take a deeper di- dive into the concepts and principles behind Texit, you can start by reading the reports or books specifically mentioned in this book in their entirety. Throughout the book, you'll see various capitalizations, punctuation, and grammar used that at first glance may seem inconsistent. In discussing the states of the United States, I use a capital S, whereas in speaking of states in their general sense, I use a lowercase. This happens in all instances except when quoting some of the founding documents of the United States, where their standard of punctuation have a direct bearing on the issues raised in this book. Also in this book, the term United States is most often treated in its plural sense. The, The United States are was the clear intention at the founding of the Union, while United States is, was a later usage adopted to reinforce a fallacy about the construction of the Union. Additionally, in all instances where quotes are used, they are directly attributed within the, within the text, and I've provided enough information for readers to verify their accuracy by a simple internet search. Many of the concepts and issues raised in this book are neither new nor unique. This is, however, the first time all of them have been combined into a single work on the issue of text independence. I've not held back on slaughtering sacred cows and throwing their remains on a Texas-sized barbecue. Nor have I spared any politicians, especially those with whom I have had personal experience on the issue. The critics will mercilessly attack this work because it is counter to the accepted political dogma of the day. History will judge this work, but the real judges as to the validity will be the people of Texas and all who seek the promise of self-determination. It is to them that I commit this work. Well, thank you, Mr. Miller. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to continuing and diving deeper. Yeah, just to reiterate what he says here, it's quite amazing that when I started thinking about this stuff in depth uh, 20 years ago <clears throat> and really believing that it is the solution to things, you know, smaller government, you know, le- really learning more about the nature of, of government and force and the size of governments, you know, power, all this type of thing, that the initial first natural inclination was secession, Texas. You know, I mean, I, I go so far as to say even after that, Texas is, would be too big, but at least it's a start. If Texas itself is too big, then the United States are too big (laughs) easily it's ungovernable and now it's just been turned over to the administrative class to rule over us as if we are their uh, milk cows and it's uh, it's long past time for that to change so let's continue with this introduction here in a quote it says Caritas asks the question, is it safe? Expediency asks the question, is it politic? Vanity asks the question, is it popular? But conscience asks the question, is it right? And there comes a time when one must take a position that is neither safe, nor politic, nor popular, but one must take it because one's conscience tells one that it is right. Martin Luther King, Jr. (laughs) 
Until the last few years, Texit has not been a topic that is safe, politic, nor popular. But the belief by its most ardent supporters is that that it is right for Texas and Texans has been infectious. Spurred by the daily displays of federal dysfunction, Texans find their long-standing assumptions challenged by the questions that Texit poses, and compelled by the promise and hope that an independent Texas presents. Texit is an is inevitable. inevitable. It is no longer just a hope, wish, or dream. Rather, it is a statement of fact, a certainty in a world filled with so much uncertainty. It represents a fixed point in the future of Texas that is growing closer every day. However, it is what led us to this point, the journey getting there, and what lies beyond that has lacked explanation and clarity. To use a phrase popular with the previous generation of Texans, there are more questions than Carter has liver bills. In the 20 years I've spent working for an independent Texas, I've asked and have been asked nearly every conceivable question about the issue. A staggering amount of research had to be done to get the right answers to those questions. The challenge, even to this day, is that answers have been hard to come by. In a day and age where, where you can literally access the entire collected knowledge of mankind with a few keystrokes, answers about Texas independence can still prove elusive. The answers require research into a patchwork of subjects such as constitutional law, international law, treaties, geopolitical trends, voting patterns, polling data, government spending, economics, federal and state policy, history, and many other subjects too numerous to list. The challenge was highlighted in recent years when two separate graduate students, who were each doing a thesis on the modern movement for Texas independence, contacted me. In their interviews, they lamented the difficulty of their task. Given the amount of discussion over the years, their expectation was that there was an abundance of scholarly work on the issue, but in their research they found virtually nothing on the subject in academic journals. What they did find was a smattering of news articles that never dealt with the subject in depth, elected officials who didn't want to talk on the record, and the same three or four associate professors who had given d definitive answers on the impossibility of Texas supported by vague rationale. Their frustration was all too familiar. It has personally been an exercise in frustration for me for more than two decades. However, what has been most frustrating is arriving at truly well-thought-out, well-researched answers, only to have them stifled by what amounts to a modern-day Spanish Inquisition. To utter the heresy that states of the United States can and should leave the Union will get you buried, burned at the proverbial stake or excommunicated from public life. While the mainstream media and the political establishment celebrate every conceivable opinion and lifestyle, Texas independence seems to be a no-go zone. Men can identify as women, women can identify as men, either can identify as nothing, Islamic terrorists can rampage across Europe and the Middle East, criminal gangs can ravage our border with Mexico, and illegal aliens can enter the country with impunity and demand to be taken in. All these issues have their cadre of supporters and apologists on both sides. Excuses and justifications for every act, lifestyle, and belief are given, debated, and accepted in every forum. Yet the moment a serious discussion begins about Texas leaving the Union, we are treated to incoherent rants about its criminality, its inherent racism, and the pat and dismissive declaration of how it can never happen. That, this is me talking totally. It just chaps my hide. <laughs> it's, or it's really just amazing to me that it's so true whenever this subject comes up people like recoil back with horror as if like you're introducing ebola into the room or something 
I mean, it, it's like the they've been so infected with some sort of mind virus. It, I mean, it goes to the the uh, the amazing uh, effectiveness of propaganda. You know that all came down with. I've argued that uh, the United the United States, as they originally conceived, uh, only lasted till about 1861, and Lincoln destroyed that by turning the United States into an empire, first conquering the Confederacy, and then infecting everybody with this idea that somehow the states. No, they no, they did not create the federal government. They can't leave. It's not. It's you can't voluntarily. Even though you voluntarily came in, you can't voluntarily leave. You know, it, it, like people can't hold two the two ideas in their mind at the same time. That how is it any different for a state that joined a union? Now it can no longer leave. Like United States is some sort of roach motel. You know, you can check in, but you can never leave even when there's ample evidence that states created the union and they can they can amend and dissolve it well well it goes back to education obviously that's no longer being taught and as he says here all these professors and and then you know shit rolls downhill so if professors are going to be so blinded by it then how can we expect even like junior high, high school his, takes history teachers to understand the, the real situation? Big hill to climb, no question about it. Continuing. The taboo seems seems to be exclusive to Texas, though. From the period of 1995 to the 2000 presidential election, any notion of Texas becoming an independent nation was classified as, quote, domestic terrorism, unquote, or, quote, sedition, and, quote, treason. Proponents, including me, were subject, subjected to investigation and scrutiny by law enforcement, publicly ostracized, lost jobs or customers, and were the subject of libelous accusations and slurs in the media. However, in the aftermath of the highly contentious 2000 presidential election, secession suddenly gained popularity among those who had previously railed against it. However, not for Texas. The sudden change of heart was best reflected in a post-election piece in the New York Times by columnist Peter Applebaum, where he proclaimed, quote, If this domestic brawl cannot be amicably settled, and it's hard to see how that's possible, maybe it's time for the proper endgame, not, not for bad elections, but for bad marriages. Divorce. Splitting the country into two would allow both Governor George W. Bush and Vice President Al Gore to get to be president. The angry combatants would be pulled apart, just like rowdy kids on a playground. And the two surly sides would be free to live in two different countries they basically want to see. Yeah, that's the way it should be. Don't see any re- anything wrong with that. Continuing, yet when Barack Obama proclaimed the presidency in 2008, discussions of leaving the union was again taboo. However, taboo the subject may have become, it did little to curb support for the idea, which continued to grow in Texas. Largely ignored by the mainstream media and establishment politicians, support for Texas leaving the union grew from single-digit polling under Clinton to 35% during Barack Obama's first term. The most recent polling in Texas shows that a majority of Republicans, approximately half of independent voters, and around one-third of Democrats, support independence. When the Trump presidency happened, the newly formed movement of Californians who wanted independence was dubbed CalExit and became the darling of the left-leaning media. 
Tech entrepreneurs gave interviews touting the endless possibilities inherent in an independent California, and media outlets that had previously towed the party line of the indivisibility of the union and ridiculed Texans who thought otherwise suddenly became the unofficial propaganda arm of the CalExit movement. Good riddance. <laughs> Even with the mainstream media's inconsistent opposition to a state leaving the union off the table for now, Support for an independent Texas is higher than ever, yet supporters cannot seem to break to the next level. While the majority of Texans who support independence have been keen to show their support in anonymous polls or in ways they feel are safe, public shows of support have been a different matter altogether. Rallies on the issue suffer from poor attendance, financial contributions to pro-independence causes are lackluster, and elected officials will not speak publicly on the issue. The vast majority of supporters of Texas independence suffer from an inferiority complex, a crisis of conscience that would seem alien to the men and women who won the Texas Revolution in 1836. There is, however, a core support that continues to advocate and advance the cause. It is those ardent, ardent and zealous advocates who, perhaps channeling the spirit that won the Texas Revolution, have carried the banner for the rest. In the face of media bias, academic silence, and politicians who treat Texas independence as a con convenient applause line, there have been breakthroughs. In, in 2016, the Republican Party of Texas held its state convention in an effort spearheaded by the Texas Nationalist Movement, a proposal that would have added a plank to the official platform calling for an up or down vote on Texas leaving the Union was considered. The proposal passed the temporary platform committee by two-thirds majority. Excuse me, that last one was there. Throwing party chairman Tom Meckler and the staff of Governor Greb Greg Abbott into an absolute panic. Defying all precedent, Meckler and the governor's agents lobbied to replace members of the temporary platform committee with members who were opposed to the plank before the committee became the permanent platform committee. Not surprised. Greg Abbott, that guy blows with the wind. Whatever he sees, wherever he sees the wind blowing, then he's going to go that way. This guy is just, can't trust that guy. The unprecedented nature of the response from the political establishment cannot be overstated. One convention delegate, a longtime Republican activist, said, I've been coming to conventions for 30 years and I've never seen this. In the ashes of this power play, the Permanent Platform Committee took up the platform passed by the Temporary Platform Committee. Immediately, a motion was made to strike the call for an independence referendum from the platform. The motion passed by two votes. What is perhaps most telling about this is that the independence referendum language was the only proposed plank struck from the platform. This move was even more insidious and was in indicative of the grand strategy of the establishment political machine. Passage of the platform by the Permanent Platform Committee was the passage of a proposed platform, not the platform in its final incarnation. Its next step was for the platform to be presented to the full convention, where it would have been open to debate and a final vote. The committee and by proxy, the establishment politicians, had effectively stifled any public debate or discussion on the issue of Texas independence. At least that's what they thought. When the convention met in its capacity as a deliberative body by to certify the new platform. The first person on the microphone was Regina Cowan. Cowan, a native of the small northeast Texas town of Beckville, now resides in the slightly larger city of Yorktown. Carried south by her husband's work in the oil field, 
Cowan is a mother, a small business owner, and an ardent supporter of Texas independence. She also happens to be the county chair for the Republican Party in DeWitt County. In full view of Tom Meckler and his role as convention chair, 9,000 attendees and media outlets from all over Texas and the United States, Cowan made a motion to add an even stronger plank, calling on the Republican Party of Texas to support, not just to vote on independence, but for actual outright independence. It took two or three seconds for the convention to fully comprehend her motion. But once it had properly sunk in, the convention erupted in applause, shouts, and cheers. It was by far the strongest positive reaction to anything that happened during the entire convention. Imagine for a moment that you're Tom Meckler. Meckler, who closely resembles the cowboy from the village people, doesn't seem like your typical political operative. Yet he considered the position of chair of the Republican Party of Texas his dream job. While the position is unpaid, it has a certain gravitas. The Republican Party of Texas is the largest state political party in the United States. Republicans hold all major statewide offices. Both chambers of the Texas legislature have massive Republican majorities. Republicans hold the vast majority of county-level offices. As chairman, you get to hobnob with the state's top officials and get treated like royalty by the party faithful. You are the boss. With the looming specter of a serious push within his party to call for an independence vote, Meckler was incredulous. I don't anticipate them being successful at the state convention, he stated in one interview. There's a lot of discussion on the part of a small group of people, and they have a very loud voice, he added. Meckler looked stunned. In Texas, we refer to that look as getting hit in the face with a sock full of wet crap. <laughs> that small group was actually a majority of the convention he was standing in front of and the very loud voice was now amplified across Texas and the rest of the United States, thanks to the presence of the media. Meckler did his best to maintain his composure during the ensuing floor debate, but the look on his face betrayed the fact that he couldn't fully comprehend what he was witnessing. What had been painted as a small fringe group by the opposition emerged as a cohesive movement that accurately reflected the sentiments of the dominant political party in Texas. One by one, the speakers in favor of adding, adding the plank to speakers in favor of adding the plank to the platform proceeded to destroy the common slurs about independence supporters, and doing and in doing so destroyed any credibility Meckler had on the issue. Once the slur that independence is only supported by old men was destroyed by Callan simply introducing the motion, the next speaker in favor of independence shattered some of the most persistent mischaracterizations of Texas supporters. After introducing the motion. Cowan yielded her speaking time to Alan Vera to make the first argument in favor of the motion. Vera is well known in Texas political circles. He has been a vocal advocate for ballot integrity, serving in the Harris County Republican Party, I would assume, turn the page here, party as the head of election security. He was one of the founders of True the Vote, which has fought for election integrity across the United States. His resume is impressive in business as well. He's a CEO has served on the boards of several business organizations, and has worked with major corporations, all of which led to his nomination as Entrepreneur of the Year from the Houston Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. He served five years in the U.S. Army as Airborne Ranger, attaining the rank of Captain, where he received numerous individual and unit awards and citations. In addition, he's a magna cum laude graduate of Loyola University in New Orleans, where he also received many academic, leadership, and military honors, including Distinguished Military Graduate. When Vera took to the mic and laid down one of the core reasons why support for Texas independence has grown, he received a standing ovation. 
his his indictment that the federal government has buried states' rights at the bottom of the landfill was not the only reason people applauded. It was him in front of everyone, a military officer an elite uh, from an elite unit, a recognized and successful Hispanic business owner, a known political operative, and a, and a resident of one of the most populous cities in the world, declared without shame, reservation, or, or equivocation his unapologetic support for Texas. I can say with certainty that Mecklier and others within the political establishment never expected any of this to happen. If they did, I'm equally certain that it played out much differently in their heads. While the speakers in favor of the independence plank exuded confidence, credibility, and intelligence, the opposition was reduced to shrieking, incomprehensible tirades on how even the discussion of independence was treason and unpatriotic, which elicited laughter and jeers from the convention attendees. When the time came for a vote, Meckler called for a voice vote. The sound of the crowd was overwhelmingly in favor of adding the plank to the platform. To buy time, Meckler declared it too close to call, prompting booing that was just as loud. He called for a standing vote, and the delegates made it clear they chose to add it to the platform. Still, Meckler decisively declared that the nays have it. This was a bridge too far for many of the delegates. After spending a week watching Meckler carry the water for the political establishment and his willingness to ignore the will of the body, a massive number of people walked out of the convention. And as we say in Texas, the horse was out of the barn. Is David R. Brockman uh, reporting the, conversa- the convention from, for, a fo- for the left-leaning Texas Observer put it, Good God, I'm trapped in a room surrounded by folks who just seriously considered the idea of secession. Oh no, the horror. <laughs> Therein lies the problem. Even as earth-shattering as the floor fight was over, a, was over a simple vote on Texas independence, it was still just a debate on whether independence should ev- even be debated. While there have been public displays of support and some very public breakthroughs like the convention, in reality there still hasn't been a serious public discussion on the merits of Texas independence, the unbalanced relationship between the federal government and the states, the process necessary to obtain a referendum on independence, or what a post-exit Texas would look like. The fact is, in this political climate, it's nearly impossible to have a rational discussion about fundamental issues of governance in the absence of a deadline that serves as a pure expression of political will. Even then, having a rational discussion of this nature is akin to taking the 12 labors of Hercules, doubling the number, and increasing their difficulty by a factor of 10. However, it can be done, and has been done successfully for decades. At the end of the Second World War, there were 54 internationally recognized countries in the world. In 1973, the year of my birth, that number had grown to approximately 120. At the end of the 20th century, there were 192. As of 2017, the official number is 195, with at least two dozen or more in the process of seeking international recognition. There are no fewer than 100 other movements in the world seeking exit from their current country or working to leave larger political unions. There are plenty of examples to show that both the debate on independence as well as actual independence can happen. The knowledge the knowledge and information, although hard to come by, exist to support the claims by Texas advocates. There's a clear legal basis to determine the path and process under which Texas could happen. There's a willingness and desire by more than enough Texans to have a serious debate on the issue that culminates in an up or down vote by the people of Texas. And with utmost certainty, there's a spirit of independence within the people of Texas that will lead them to embrace Texas, lift their heads, and stand among the nations.
All right. Awesome. Like getting me fired up. We'll stop there for now. Very, 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 very fired up. That's unbelievable. Oh, it's not unbelievable. I say that as like a, you know, a uh, non-fluency. That's unbelievable that the Republican Party people would have done that in the convention. But, I mean, there you go. There you go, right there. You know, I've, I've always said that I respect Democrats more than Republicans, and this kind of shows why. At least the Democrats, you know, look you in the face and say, I'm going to, I am going to screw you. I'm going to steal from you. I'm going to screw you. Whereas the Republicans say, oh, no, no, we're here to protect you, you know, against uh, the depravities of government. This, that, the other. And then what do they do? They, when they're in office, they always immediately turn around and vote for the same thing that Democrats want. That's why government constantly grows. So not surprised at all. Somehow the people, it, it, it's just like within government, within parties and whatever, the least, uh, I don't want to say able, but the, the, the people that should be there the least are the ones that uh, rise to the top. You know, the rotten cream always rises to the top. And that's a perfect example of it. Uh, you know, I'm going to have to look up, so that was 2016, I'm going to look up what happened in 2020. I wouldn't be surprised this year, 2024, this thing's going to be uh, front and center again. Man, oh man, this is going to be very, very interesting. So stick around. We're going to continue going down through this book, through this path, see what he has to say about how, why and how Texas should secede. I, I suspect if you care to even listen to this, you already have an inclination towards agreeing that Texas should secede, but at least it's good to hear other viewpoints and whatnot. I quite frankly cannot conceive of any rational argument not to secede. I mean, I racked my brain trying to play devil's advocate, you know, and then have the arguments both sides, but I mean, I literally cannot think of any rational argument for not seceding. So I don't know. But we'll see. This will be interesting to uh, to, to go through. So st- stick around, and uh, we'll continue down the process of reading uh, Texit by Daniel Miller and commenting on uh, what he has to say in here. You know, hopefully, if you're listening, you'll agree to be uh, part part of the movement as well. So with that, I bid you adieu, and uh, y'all have a good one.